Good morning. I invite you to stand as we worship this morning and welcome to Evangel and we welcome those who are home. We're glad that you're with us this morning. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and this time where we can gather together to worship you and to draw close to you. Please have your way, we pray. Come Holy Spirit. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord. You can put your hands together. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord, wait upon the Lord our God. You reign forever, our hope, our strong
Amen. Great to see you. Why don't you just take a moment, say hi to each other before you're 
seated this morning. Good to see some of you. I'm seeing faces this morning I haven't seen for quite some time. It's great to see your faces again this morning. Thank you. You can be you can be seated. Well, I want to take this opportunity to welcome you and tell you that we're glad that you're here with us today and that uh, you could uh, join us and uh, be a part of this service in person. And uh, it's, a, it's a different feeling walking in here. This morning when I came in, I always have a Sunday morning routine where I go around and do stuff. And even when I just kind of walked in, just being able to see right out through the light outside and see all that, it's just a completely different feel. And I'm sure you experienced it walking into the building this morning as well. So we're delighted you're here. And those of you who are joining us at home, uh, we're glad that you're here with us as well. And so we just want to remind you of a couple of uh, things this morning. Just want to remind those of you who hold uh, membership here at Evangel, I just want to remind you that um, nominations, the deadline for a Min Council nominations is today. And so if you haven't uh, submitted your nomination form, you need to do so by the end of today. Our annual business meeting is going to be on Sunday, March 27th at 11.15 a.m. So if you haven't nominated yet, make sure you do that. Just also, uh, it's that time of year when uh, uh, we're thinking about doing our taxes. And uh, just to let you know that our tax receipts are available. They've been released by our auditor and uh this morning after the service, if you're here, uh, Cindy will be in the foyer. You can go by and you can pick up your uh, income tax uh, receipt for 2021. And uh, if you're not here today, you obviously aren't going to be able to do that. But tomorrow morning, all remaining uh, tax receipts will hit the mail. And you can look for those and uh, you'll get them by mail. So please keep that in mind. Just want to remind you of a couple of things. We're, we're just slowly kind of scaling back uh, some of the restrictions and adjusting here. And uh, really great, good, really great turnout today, by the way. Uh, it's, it's really nice to see you. Yeah, it's a really nice turnout. So, um, yeah, I just wondered if we'd, we'd ever come back. So it's, it's, good, it's good that you're here. Uh, so just want to remind you of a couple things. The reason the tape is left on the chairs is because distancing is still required. Uh, even though there's not a number set on how many can be in here, we are still required to distance, so we're, we're just leaving that there for now until that is lifted. And I just want to clarify something about the mask mandate. So the bylaw in all of Ontario right now, and Halton as well, is that masks must be worn inside the building. But I do want you to know that from day one, there has been an exception in that bylaw for people who meet certain criteria. And so all through this process, uh, if someone was coming and they weren't wearing a mask, they would be asked if they needed one or if they had an exemption. And if they say they have an exemption, that's it. Then they, they just come in. And so what I, I want you to know is that over the next few weeks, you may see somebody sitting in the service who's not wearing a mask. And if that's the case, you need to assume it's because they have an exemption and they're, they're allowed to be here. Uh, not wearing a mask. And I know it's kind of it's kind of weird when you've been wearing a mask for so long, it's kind of hard to, like, you know, see people without one. But I just, I would never want Evangel to be, Evangel to be a place where anyone felt sort of, uh, you know, on the other side of the boundary <laughs> of, of sort of what's happening. So just know that, that, that if someone's not wearing one, then that's okay, and it's because of the exemption. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm guilty sometimes out in public just thinking, like, buddy, what's wrong with you? Put your mask on. And then I remind myself, like, no, like, 
there's probably a reason. And I got to give people the benefit of that doubt. So let's, let's be that kind of environment and just to keep that in mind. So if you see that, you, you know. At the end of the service today, you're welcome to stay inside, walk, uh, visit with each other, enjoy each other's company. Just remember the, uh, the distancing um, is still required, but, but you're free to, to stay inside. Kids, uh, you can make your way uh, over here to your leaders and you can exit out. And I'm going to hand it back to Tyler. Tyler and I, without uh, consulting one another, both got a haircut this week. Yeah. And, yeah. And we yeah. got the same song. Yeah. What's that? And at one point, I wrote him and said, I've been thinking about this song. Do you think we could do it? And he goes, it's already in the list. I know. I told him. I said, Tyler, yeah, we are in so in sync. We are just so in sync. So anyway, Tyler, hand it back to you. You can lead us. Continue to worship uh, the Lord this morning. So obviously the theme of these songs have been God's love. You know, he's a good father. We're loved by him. That's very important to remember. Because I think sometimes, sometimes we can overemphasize, you know, justice and sin and, and these are, and, and that's important to keep in balance, but sometimes it can be overemphasized and then you're like always living in fear or feeling guilty all the time or it can be, that can become a very unhealthy thing. And to remember, wait a minute, God loves me. He's not out to get me. He doesn't want to, you know, smite me or something like that. Like he wants to bring me home to heaven. He wants to help me. He already knows my weaknesses and all of this. And so, yes, I should repent and I should come to him. But knowing that he loves me and that he's good and that he will help me, it may not be the way that I want and it might be very difficult, the help that he wants to give me. But if I am going through a hard time that he's allowing, I need to remember, well, he loves me and he knows better than me, so I can I can trust him. I'm still going to choose to follow him even though this doesn't make any sense or maybe I'm going through a really hard time. And so that's what these next two songs are about, are God's great love and because he is love, we can trust him even if we don't understand. So I invite you to stand if you're able to um, sing along um, and to pray along with me as we sing these songs.
Our scripture reading this morning is found in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 11 to 24, a little longer this morning than the ones that we've been reading in previous weeks as part of this series. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Sorry. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Tyler, for leading us this morning. Well, today is the fourth week of our five-week sermon series, which we've entitled Love Beyond Boundaries. And this series has been based on Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 15. Now, at the start of chapter 15 and at the start of our series, we are told that Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to Jesus to hear him teach and that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law complained because he welcomed these sinners and even ate with them. The conflict in this chapter arose because the religious leaders were focused on establishing boundaries of who was in and who was out. And Jesus' actions and teachings that blatantly ignored their boundaries. And so this created the conflict that we find here. In Luke 15, we see a series of three parables that Jesus told in response to their complaining in order to teach them that God's love cannot be contained by boundaries, that love is better than boundaries. And so today, we're going to consider the first part of the final parable, which we call the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. The previous parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin focused on a sheep and a coin being lost by a shepherd or by a woman. They were responsible for losing what was lost. And Jesus was highlighting that the actions of the religious leaders Their behavior in creating these boundaries resulted in people being marginalized, rejected, lost, if you will. But that the value of both the sheep and the coin prompted a search and subsequently a celebration when they were found. Jesus highlighted the value of these so-called tax collectors and notorious sinners. Now, Jesus shifts his approach here with the third and final parable of the lost son. Jesus wants to uh, to take them to a place where they see the human value, the human value of those that they're rejecting. So this story is about relationships. This story is about heartache. This story is about reconciliation. The son is lost. But in this parable, the son is not lost because of the father, but because of his own choices. 
the Father's forgiveness and the Father's reconciliation is a reminder of how God responds to those who make wrong choices and decide that they, they want to return to him. Now, it also symbolizes how those who claim to be his followers should follow the example that we see of the Father here in this story. So throughout this series, we've been reminded that in the kingdom of God, love cannot be contained by boundaries because everyone is equally valuable to God. So let's move quickly through this parable this morning. Let's begin with freedom. In this final parable, the main characters are a father and his two sons. It's the youngest son that's the focus of the first part of the story, and it's the oldest son that is the focus of the second part of the story. Now, since today we're considering the first part of the story only, the youngest son is going to be our focus. Next week when we deal with the second part of the story and we wrap up this series, the oldest son will be our focus. And we know that all of these parables were told to lead up to the oldest brother who, in fact, is symbolic of these religious leaders and Pharisees. The young man is a member of a wealthy family. He had everything he ever needed and more. But there's a dissatisfaction in him. His desire and his focus is out there, beyond the life that he knew, beyond the, 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 the comfort of his family. His heart and his mind were captivated with what lay beyond the safety and provision of his father and of his home and of his family life. He wanted freedom. He wanted freedom. Freedom had become the ultimate priority, the ultimate value of his life. He wanted to be his own person. He wanted to live by his own rules. He wanted to do as he pleased without any restrictions to pursue his own self-interest. Now, the customs of these times was to pass all property, possessions, all wealth to your sons. Following the father's death, each son would get an equal share, and the oldest son would get twice as much as the other's what Bible, the Bible often calls a double portion, since the oldest son would be responsible for his mother if she was still living, or his sisters if they were widowed or not married, or other costs within the family. And so the older brother would get twice as much as the younger. So in this story, as these religious leaders are listening, they understand what's happening here, that because there's two sons, the oldest son would get two-thirds of everything the father had, and the younger son would receive a one-third of his father's estate. The youngest son was impatient and drawn to freedom. He couldn't wait until his father died to get his one-third. He wanted it now. He needed it now because he had to have it in order for his plan for freedom to be realized. And so he asked his father for it in advance because he couldn't wait for him to die. Now, even, even though this request was, no question would be, painful for a father and not what a father would have intended for his son, the father in this story knows that the boy had made up his mind, that there's no point in trying to stop him. And so he gave the boy what he asked for and watched with a broken heart as the boy wandered down the path and faded from view. Freedom. The second part we see is regret. We're told that the son wasted his money and his life 
unquote, wild living, a term that was often used in Scripture for excessive drinking, partying, women. He made many so-called friends who wanted to be around him because, you know, they benefited from his wealth. And so for a while, life was everything he dreamed it would be. It was everything he hoped for. It was everything he wanted. We're told life was good. Life was good. But eventually, the money ran out. And when the money ran out, the party stopped. And when the party stopped, the friends disappeared. And to add insult to injury, the timing was terrible because there was a famine in the land that coincided with the end of his partying. And anyone who could have helped this boy was not able to help him like they might have been able to under normal circumstances. And so this young son's quest for freedom had ended up different than he had imagined. And so we find him alone. He's broke. He's unable to even take care of himself. He can't even meet his own basic needs. And so to really ramp up the story, and I love this about Jesus' storytelling, right? Jesus just throws those twists and those complicated parts into the stories he tells. To really ramp up the story and make the Pharisees and teachers of the law really uncomfortable with their boundaries, he added an element to the story that really challenged their boundaries. We're told the only job he could get was tending to pigs. This job was not just the bottom of the ladder for anyone, but I mean, this is a Jewish boy, and pigs were considered unclean. And so Jesus throws that into the story that this is the only job. This is how far he's gone from how he was raised and his family life, and this is how far his life has fallen. There's no food to eat. He's starving. He's starving. As he worked this job, he saw this job as a reminder of his failure. He saw this job as punishment for his wrongdoing. But in reality, when we see in hindsight, this job was actually a blessing because this is the place where he got the perspective he needed to see his life, to see his situation. This is what we might call hitting rock bottom. And that's where we find him. And so one day as he's tending the pigs, he began to take a good look at himself. And he saw what he had become, and he didn't like what he saw. The lives of his father's servants even looked more luxurious in comparison to his. And as he was reflecting on that, he says, you know what? At least someone's taking care of them. They have food to eat. They're not starving like I am. And so he decided that he would go back to his father. He would admit his wrongdoing, and he'd ask to become at least a servant. That's all he wanted, just, just to be a servant. And as humiliating as that decision was, filled with regret, he started out for home. The third and final part of this story is the celebration. I can only imagine what that walk home was like. <laughs> How anxious he was. I can only imagine the the thoughts racing through the mind of someone who had experienced what he had experienced and done what he'd done. Was it too late? Would the father forgive him? Would the father accept him? 
There was a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of wondering, a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress. He began to rehearse his speech. You know, I'm going to go home, and this is what I'm going to tell my dad. Dad, I, you know, I just want to be a servant. That's all. That's all. I, I don't expect to be a son. I don't deserve to be a son. But if you'll take me back, I'll, I'll just be a servant. And so as he approached the last leg of the journey, his father's response answered all of his questions and all of his anxiety and all of his wondering. All of that just all came together in this moment with the father's response. Keeping in mind now that this son is representative of these notorious sinners and tax collectors and the father here is the heart and love of God. And so we're told that why the boy was a long way off, the father saw him appear on the horizon. Was it a coincidence that the father just happened to be looking and straining his eyes at that particular moment? It just happened to be? I I don't think so. I think Jesus is telling this story in a way to suggest that the father was watching for the lost boy on as a regular activity of his life. That each day would, would, would strain and constantly look at the horizon, hoping, believing, longing, and living for this day because he had never given up on this boy. He had never written him off. And as soon as he saw him, we're told he felt compassion for him. He was moved with love and he began to run to him. In a culture where it was inappropriate for a wealthy elderly man to lift up the ends of his robe and run, I mean, that was just unthinkable. Again, Jesus brings that into the story of the love and the compassion and the grace that this Jewish father defied all cultural norms. Because the father didn't care about culture. He didn't care what anybody else thought. His son was coming home, and that is all that mattered, period. And so before the son was even close enough to repent, the father was running toward him with love. And when he got to him, he embraced him. And as he embraced him, the son began to rehearse his speech that he'd been practicing on the trip, admitting his wrong. But the father interrupted his speech, (laughs) You know, it was well rehearsed, but the father stopped him and and said, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Bring me the best robe, he said to his servants. I want you to go back to the house and find me the best robe that we have. I want that robe. I want you to bring me a ring, a ring which would have a signet that represented authority in the family. I want you to bring a ring. I want to put a ring on his finger to declare that he has full authority in this family. I want you to bring me some sandals for his feet because only servants walked around barefooted and this was his son and he wanted to put sandals on his feet. And he said, we're going to have a barbecue. We're going to, we're going to kill that calf that we've been fattening up and reserving for a special occasion, and there is going to be a party. The son, he says, my son, my son who, who we thought was dead, he's alive. The son who left us has come back home to us. The father's love was unconditional. 
The part, there's so many parts to this story that I really love. I love them more now that I'm a father. <laughs> but there, there are so many parts of this. There's no probation here. There's no probationary time. Like, okay, you know what? You can come home, but we're going to watch things over the next six months, and, and you're going to do this, this, and this, and if you can't live up to that, well, this is not going to work. No, there's no probation. There's no earning your rights back. There's no, like, you have to prove to me that you are worthy of my love and forgive. No, that's not even in the story. It's not there. It can't be there because the Father represents God. <laughs> so it can't be there, right? There's no tough love. God didn't invent tough love. Some evangelical in the United States invented that. It's not in this story. He's declared a full-fledged member of the family in good standing, and he's given his place back. Why? Because of love. Now, what Jesus was doing by spending time with, and we said in the beginning, what they said is true. He was spending time with tax collectors and notorious sinners. He was doing it. He was doing it. But what he was doing was the equivalent. He's trying to show them what I am doing here is the equivalent of the father running to and welcoming back this son who had sinned. This son who wanted to come home, to be forgiven, to be included in the family. And Jesus is showing them there are no boundaries because in the kingdom of God, love is better than boundaries. In the kingdom of God, love cannot be contained by boundaries because everyone, yes, even rebellious prodigals, are equally valuable to God. So what? <laughs> well, that's the question we have to answer now. There are two areas that I'd like to focus on again as we ask ourselves today how this parable may apply to us. We know how it applied to the religious how, leaders. How does it apply to us? Well, there's two things I want to highlight this morning. One is grace before repentance. Grace before repentance. I will confess to you today. That as much as I want my first response towards others to always be grace and love, as I see demonstrated in the life and teaching of Jesus, that, that's, that's what I want. That's who I want to be. My confession is that I often find myself responding contrary to it. I guess I find myself like, you know, the Apostle Paul. The things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. That's, that's kind of my story. It's easier for me to, an ex, to expect an apology prior to forgiving someone than it is for me to forgive them if an apology never comes. It's easier for me to want people, to want others, to, pray, to, to pay for the wrongs that they've done than it is for me to understand unconditional love and forgiveness. It's easier for me for the, to want them to pay. It's easier for me to focus on 
the consequences and the guilt of wrongdoing instead of instinctively running with open arms. It's, it doesn't always come natural to me. It's often easier for me to see the speck in someone else's eye while there's a big plank sticking out of mine. Like, it just is. It's easy for me sometimes to default to judging others even though God has shown them mercy and shown me mercy. Now, I suspect that some of you, upon honest reflection, would say, yeah, I find myself there sometimes too. I'm a lot like you in that regard. I want you to notice that when Jesus told this story, he has the father watching for and running toward the son with open arms, filled with love, long before the son had a chance to recite his repentance speech. I don't want to get off on a tangent, but that's one thing that really bothers me about church culture these days is that we have minimized the salvation experience to a recited speech. (laughs) Say this, right? We call it the sinner's prayer. Start in Genesis and end in Revelation. You won't find it in there. Just putting that out there. You know, he's saying long before he had a chance to recite his speech. And even when the son began to recite his speech, the father says, shh, shh. His repentance was communicated in his return home, in his walking a new road. In fact, in the Greek language, that's what the word repentance means, to walk a road different than you'd been on. In returning to the Father, that act of returning was his repentance, not some rehearsed speech. And I want us to see that the Father demonstrated grace before words of repentance were ever spoken. Now, spoken repentance is important. Admission of wrongdoing is important. Seeking forgiveness when you've done something wrong is important. But I want us to see today that God's grace is demonstrated long before one word is ever spoken. Before it's ever spoken. The Pharisees and teachers of the law had defined a process of what would be required if these so-called tax collectors and notorious sinners were to ever be brought inside the boundaries, these were the expectations. And Jesus said, no. All they have to do is seek me out. Find me. Follow me. Be with me. Now this challenges me. And it challenges you. And it challenges the church as a whole for our first inclination, our first inclination to always be a demonstration of grace. We love with the love of God first. And through our love, others are drawn to and they find Jesus. Grace before repentance. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Grace before repentance. Secondly, 
love before freedom. Freedom, you may have noticed this, has become a very important priority in what I will call the evangelical movement that we see primarily located in North America. The idea of freedom has become very, a very important priority. Now, while there is no question that freedom holds high value, I think you would agree with me that even though freedom is a value in the kingdom of God, because that's where our values are rooted, in the kingdom of God, not the kingdoms of this world, in the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, freedom is a value. It's important. The supreme value in the kingdom of God, though, is not freedom. Freedom is not the supreme value. It is not the value above all values in the kingdom of God. It just isn't. As much as we've tried to make it such, it isn't. The supreme value, the value that defines, the value that interprets and directs all other values in the kingdom of God is love, is love, not freedom. Love is the supreme value in the kingdom of God. In Matthew 22, verses 35 to 40, we read, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him on this question, him being Jesus. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second one, well, it's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I love this last line. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. They all hang on these. And so Jesus is declaring here in this conversation, in his teaching, that the supreme value, the value that defines all other values, all other laws, all other rules, all other boundaries, all other behavior, is love. Loving God, loving others. They all hang from there. That's the supreme one. In John 13, 35, Jesus told his disciples, your love for one another, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, the apostle Paul wrote, he said, these three things will last forever. They remain. They'll last forever. They go on. They never end. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. It's love. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, we read, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teaching 
was not only countercultural to his time and all time, it was contrary to the actual religious activity of his day. In fact, well, I would go as far as to say it's contrary to much of what we hear in Christianity today. Jesus' teaching in many aspects of Christianity does not align with the priorities of modern-day Christianity. It, it just doesn't. And if we need to return to anything, we need to return back to the teachings and life of Jesus. Just putting that out there. That's pretty quiet, amen. The values in the kingdom of God are different than the values in the kingdom of this world. And it's going to help us as followers of Jesus to eventually figure that out. The values in the kingdom of God are different than the values in the kingdom of this world. Freedom calls us to protect our self-interests. But love calls us to forgiveness. Love calls us to inclusion. Love calls us to second chances. Love calls us to be concerned with the interest of others above our own personal interests. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus taught that freedom says, retaliate when someone slaps you. I mean, none of us like it when someone slaps us, right? So freedom says, yeah, you re someone slaps you, you retaliate. But, but Jesus says, freedom tells you that, but, but love says, turn the other cheek. Ouch, that hurts twice. Freedom says to resist the one who wants to literally take the shirt off your back. Freedom says resist that. Don't let them have your shirt. But love says, you know what? You can have my shirt. And by the way, you want my coat too? <laughs> That's what's in there. That's what he's teaching. Freedom says you refuse to give in to the demands of those who ask you to walk a mile. And this is the context of Roman soldiers who could force individual civilians to carry their stuff for a period of time, and you had to carry a burden that was not your idea, that you didn't agree with, that you didn't want to be a part of, but you had no choice because you lived there. Hmm, that could preach for some things for today, but we won't go there today. Freedom says refuse to give in to the demands of those who ask you to walk a mile. Love says, I'll see your mile. And I'll add a mile onto it. That's what love says. Freedom says walk a mile. And love says, I won't just walk one mile. I'll walk two. Jesus' teaching made religious people uncomfortable in his time. And the truth is, it makes religious people uncomfortable in our time too. Whether we like it, or not. We can argue all we want. We can debate all we want. Love, love is the supreme value in the kingdom of God. Not freedom. Love. The freedom that is valued in the kingdom of God, well, most of us probably don't want it. Because the freedom that's valued in the kingdom of God is a freedom to find your life by giving your life away. As we love God and love others. That's freedom in the kingdom of God. 
to lay down our lives for him. Because love is before freedom. I'm going to invite Tyler back. In the kingdom of God, we see grace before repentance. And we love with the love of God first. And through that love for others, others are drawn to Jesus. In the kingdom of God, the supreme value, the value that defines and interprets and directs all the other values is love. Because in the kingdom of God, love cannot be contained by boundaries. Because everyone is equally valuable to God. Would you stand with me this morning? And as always, my my ask of all of us, myself included, is as we reflect on Jesus' words here, Jesus' teaching here, what does it mean for me? How does it resonate with my life and where I am at this moment and and how I'm living and thinking and, and responding? Asking the Holy Spirit to help us. Because I don't know about you, but at the end of the day, my priority is to align with Jesus. And even if that means I no longer align with a denomination or a movement or popular opinion or any of that other stuff. I've been thinking a lot this week about that, that Daniel, uh, that, um, that hymn, that, that, and I don't even know all the details of it, but it just says, you know, just give me Jesus. <laughs> give me Jesus. You can have this whole world. You can have all that stuff. You can have it all. Just give me Jesus. If I'm going to align anywhere, that's where I want to align. That's being a follower of Jesus. Living what he lived, living what he taught, living what reflects what he would have me do. It's our prayer. That's our desire. That's what we're called to as followers. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to help get us there. Tyler, would you lead us? I've carried a burden for too long on my knees. I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it
my soul needs a friend, so I'll run to the Father again and again and again. If our hearts have been focused elsewhere and we've, would you help us to return home to you today and experience your love and your grace that's so unconditional and so unbelievably difficult to even begin to grasp. Lord, may we never limit love to our ability to understand and exhibit it. May we never limit you in that way. And Father, this morning as we come before you, there are so many things that are burdened on our hearts that we want to lift up to you in prayer today. We, we think of our world and the brokenness and the division that's in our world right now, the turmoil that our world is in, the impact on the lives of people in so many different ways and in so many different places. But we specifically remember today as we've We've tracked with the news this week as we see the atrocities of what's happening in the Ukraine and the brokenness and, the, and, and Lord, the, the pain and the loss of life and the devastation and, and people fleeing from, the, from their homes for safety. God, we just pray today, Prince of Peace, would you bring peace to our world? Lord, we just pray today for those who are obsessed with a love for power. Lord, we pray today that your love would over, overwhelm every, each and every person and every heart and every leader and every decision maker that the value of human life, quality of life would be seen and understood. 
Father, we pray for peace. We pray for mercy. We pray for grace. We pray for an end. Father, today we pray for Edith and Carl. We pray for your touch upon their lives. We pray for Todd as you continue to be with him as he goes through his treatments. Lord, we pray for Emma again today, and we're thankful that her family can be with us this morning. We thank you that she's trending in the right direction. We thank you that this week, if tests come back positive, that, that there's, there's a window in a few weeks of her being able to even come home. And we just thank you for that miraculous work in her life. Will we, would you complete what's been started? Heal her, restore her, lead and guide her and her family. Give them peace and strength. Lord, we pray for Roy in the hospital today. Would you comfort and touch his body and strengthen him, Lord? And Father, as we leave this place today, like every moment in history, what needs to be the greatest priority is that those of us who claim to follow you live out your kingdom, live out the values of your kingdom, live out the teachings of your kingdom in such a way that the world sees that it's just completely opposite to everything that's promoted in our world, but is somehow drawn to that and healed through that, strengthened through that. God, would you just help us to be people who demonstrate the value of love as the supreme value in our own lives because it's the supreme value to you. We thank you that God so loved that he gave us his son. So watch over and be with us and our families. Lead and guide us, we pray. Help us as we live for you each and every day. Lead us by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for joining us at home. We can be of assistance. Don't hesitate to let us know how we can serve you. God bless you.